Welcome to the Greenwood. I'm your host, Thaddeus Papke, and this is the podcast where we peek under the hood of the most famous outlaw who may have never been. We interview subject matter experts and content creators to learn why this figure continues to endure and consider what we can learn by examining what historian Maurice Keene called the matter of the Greenwood. Just as I was starting this podcast, announcements were coming out for the English-language release of The Adventures of Robin Hood, a new board game from the talented Michael Menzel, whose cooperative fantasy epic, Legends of Andor, has been a smash hit amongst gamers on both sides of the Atlantic. As someone who enjoys cooperative board games and just happens to be a fan of this Robin Hood character, the game was a sure purchase for me. After the game was released and I was able to get a few games in, the publisher Cosmos was good enough to put me in touch with Michael, who was happy to share with me insights on the creative process that went into the game as the game's designer, writer, and illustrator. I admit that this is a somewhat embarrassing interview for me, as I find myself gushing over the game. My family and I really had an immense amount of fun, and it ranks high amongst the best-looking games I've ever played as well. However, Michael was frank about some of the criticism that the game has received. Mostly in that it lacks the strategic depth that real serious gamers tend to crave although that is largely intentional. This is a game that is intended to be played around the dinner table with families, which brought to mind a point that often goes through my mind in regards to adaptations of Robin Hood. Robin Hood is a figure that dances back and forth between being a cartoonish figure for children and a grim and decidedly adult vigilante. For his game, Michael very intentionally sought a middle path. A Robin Hood that didn't come across as silly or childish, but not quite one that seems to have stepped out of an Assassin's Creed game either. I'm often hesitant to give blanket recommendations for some of the various Robin Hood adaptations that I discuss on the podcast or on social media, as some of it can be perfectly wonderful work, but not well-suited for every audience. I can say about the Adventures of Robin Hood board game, though, that both my 12-year-old son and my 45-year-old brother-in-law enjoyed the game and were always eager to play the next chapter. Now, string your bow, draw your blade, and perhaps clear off your gaming table as we enter the Greenwood with game designer and artist Michael Menzel as we discuss his process of blending mechanics and theme and how Nottingham almost became the city of Florence. All right, well, thanks for, for joining me today. Uh, where, where are you joining me from exactly? Uh, it's called Neukirchenflühen. It's a small town near Düsseldorf. Ah, okay. Yeah. Well, I'd like to, to thank you again for, for taking uh, time in your evening to, to join me here. Um, I appreciate it a lot. Um, as I, I said in some of the emails, I've been playing the game, Adventures of Robin Hood. I played a session of it last night with my son and my sister and her husband. Uh, we just completed chapter five. Definitely avoid giving any spoilers on the podcast here. Um, but it's really fun. I'm, I'm enjoying the game quite a lot. We're, we're kind of a board gaming family. So we enjoy maybe not like the really in-depth, highly detailed strategic games, but especially cooperative games and kind of immersive adventure games like this. So it's definitely scratching that itch, uh, having the Robin Hood theme. Um, obviously, in, in my case in particular, is extra fun. Yes. And and then the game itself feels really unique and interesting. And that's something that I, I want to touch on a little bit. So for uh, so for listeners who are joining us on the podcast, uh, I was hoping you could just start by introducing yourself a little bit and mm -hmm. how you got started in that kind of combined world of art and board game design. 
Okay. Um, I'm Michael Menzel, and I'm, um, yeah, the whole career actually started by accident. Um, <laughs> it was uh, I, I ran into uh, into an old friend who uh, was already a, a designer for board games, and um, I had had no job, and uh, and I asked him uh, if I'm if I can illustrate a, a game for him and and that was the first assignment and, and then I found out okay that's that's a, a dream job and I really want to do more of it and um, so I did and um, and while I was illustrating games I, I came across a lot of game ideas and um, a lot of games and I I wasn't a player as a child but I, I really began to like it as an adult, uh, job-wise. And yeah, and when my son and my nephew were about nine years old, we, we were really great fans of a lot of the rings. Mm. And, uh, and we tried to find a game that, that covers this uh, theme. And, um, but most of them were really um, very complex. Um, a lot of rules to learn and um, so because the kids were just nine years old uh, in, in one holiday uh, we we started to develop our own game and um, so I took some cardboard with me and uh, you know I, I drew the, the the castle and they uh, painted the, the forest and we we took tokens and figures out of other games and made up our own game and and it, it was part of our holidays every time. And um, um, and and at one point, I th I had so many thoughts about the game, and um, and it took so much place in my head that I thought, okay, I have to show it to a publisher once. And if they would have said it's nothing, uh, go away, then uh, it, uh, it would have been okay for me. I probably would have not shown it to anyone else. But uh, the publisher liked it right away, and that was yeah the the starting point for Legends of Andor, my first board game as a designer. And yeah, and two years later, it was published and kind of successful. And um, and that was the first game where I to to come back to your initial question uh, was the first game where I combined illustration and uh, the the game idea, and um, and that's very close. To each other in, in in both games of mine and um, yeah and, and and that's how it started. Legends of Andor uh, has been a, a big success. I understand. I certainly enjoyed a lot as a game. It was a game that I was happy to find because I've always kind of liked the fantasy genre. A big fan of of Lord of the Rings also, and one of my problems with a lot of the kind of big fantasy board games out there, even ones that I thought were pretty well done is that there was frequently this component of, well, you all have your heroes and your heroic characters and they're kind of leveling up and getting experience and skills and special items to help them defeat, you know, some sort of evil presence, you know, whether it's an invading kingdom or something very Lord of the Rings, like a, a Sauron type figure, mm -hmm. some, some dark menacing Lord or an evil dragon. But almost always it was still a competitive game even though there was a single adversary all of these different heroes were somehow always just competing to sort of see who beat the bad guy first and mm -hmm. one of the things i really like about legends of andor is that it still has that kind of high epic fantasy feel but the heroes are actually working together yeah. so was that part of the enjoyment of lord of the rings was it the design process kind of with your family where did where did that impetus to make it a cooperative game come from uh it's totally uh um based on on on, on the on the idea that we uh, wanted to play it with my kids uh with my son mm -hmm. and my nephew and um and because it's a role play they really get into their role and they really uh become their hero and um and it felt wrong if one wins and the other one loses and um, so uh, the cooperative thing was the best thing to do because they you know both nine years old they are in some competition all the time 
and uh, and it was great to have a game where they are forced to work together <laughs> and uh, <laughs> yeah that was uh, spared a lot of tears and <laughs> and stress and, uh, and and that was good and i i do believe that for a uh, um the the bad guy the dragon in in andor he would have been far less evil if we still had the time to work for our own good all the time you know that we can still take care of our own uh, points if that if if <laughs> like that is still important the dragon can't be that evil so so he, he's really that evil so we have to work together it doesn't matter who gets what and who has more points he's that evil so we have to work together exactly and that that makes so much sense to me and i think this uh transitions well into the talk about the adventures of robin hood board game because robin hood is another theme that really lends itself well to that idea of a cooperative mm. game while robin hood might be the name that's on the movie poster on the the game box all of the best stories really involve him working with his band of friends, working with Maid Marian and Little John and Friar Tuck and Will Scarlet and Alan Dale. You know, he has this whole cast of characters that are also all really big, important personalities, and they're always cooperating and working together. So mm -hmm. I feel that was a natural fit for another cooperative game. So along those lines, what brought Robin Hood to your mind as a figure to design a game around? Um, well, the initial idea was to have a family-friendly game, which should be very easy to set up, because that was the one thing some people said about Andor, uh, that the lots of material makes it hard to, to get even started, to, to, to sort all kinds of tiles and tokens and, and figures. And um, so it should, I wanted it to be very easy to be set up. Um, it should have been a, a family game, and um, and the initial idea was to to uh, play on a picture or to play a picture, uh, um, because usually I, as an illustrator, I draw nice landscapes, and after a while, I have to have some grit all over it or some some spaces, you know, where to put your figures and all that symbolic stuff and iconography and all that. And uh, and I wanted to have it just just the picture, <laughs> mm -hmm. and um, so I was I was trying to 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 think about a, um, a possibility to to avoid any sort of spaces and fields and um, and uh, and it took a while and and then I uh, uh, found out this this mechanism how to move in Robin Hood um, these figures this uh, uh, that you put side by side and then um, you know you you know how to far to you can walk and and when I had this mechanism I was sure it has to be cooperative because uh, if that's a competitive game um, it, it doesn't work you know because people would say okay uh, uh, you 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 pushed your figure too far uh, uh, so at that point it was clear it has to be cooperative it has to be a family game so yeah and and, and robin hood to me uh, uh felt like a very good decision because it's a very family friendly uh topic theme and um and personally i really do like it uh, i i watched the disney movie uh, when i was very young i watched kevin <laughs> costa when i got the girl first girlfriend in cinema so uh, i was I, I was very good with uh, robin hood anyway and uh, and because of the kind of game that it was already it had to be a, a topic that that fits to the mechanism you know yeah yeah, so for the sake of our listeners who might not be familiar with the game, there's a set of, I think, eight kind of large puzzle pieces that all fit together to make a single large board. And that board is a single illustrated painting that depicts Sherwood Forest, a village, a castle, and it is the board that your figures move around on and they interact with different spaces, they avoid guards, they meet townsfolk. Um, they look for treasures and items. They hide in the shadowy areas, but there's there's no lines, there's no grids, there's no hexes. It's all very organic, very uninterrupted, except for little little numbers around certain spots. And 
then the figures you use are these little wooden tokens and you have a series of wooden tokens for each character that you use to kind of determine the path that they they move along and i hadn't thought about that before but you're right i i have played a few games that are similar like uh miniature kind of skirmish games like x-wing is one where you do have these kind of movement templates and you have to be really careful to be precise and if you bump things a little bit then there is that potential for for argument at the table but when everybody's on the same side nobody's going to care that much if your figure got nudged a little bit more nobody's going to be upset if you know they're they're you're a millimeter away from where you had originally started that's yeah. a really interesting point that i hadn't thought and and you're right that does help reinforce that like oh yeah that's right it's cooperative we're all working together anyway you, you have to see uh, uh designing a board game the the really strange thing about it is you can do almost everything you know uh, uh we have a market for almost every theme every topic uh it, it doesn't matter it's up to you you know you can use whatever mechanism you prefer um and you can play test it all by yourself with some cardboard and some some tokens so the 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 possibilities are limitless and mm -hmm. uh and that's and that's not not only a good thing you know it's uh, uh so whenever i found something like this mechanism how to move the figures um i was happy to have one checkbox uh filled you know to to know okay now it has to be cooperative if i want to keep this mechanism yeah has to be cooperative so i don't have to think about uh, some competitive uh, uh theme or topic uh, uh anymore and uh and that's really helpful because there are so many possibilities and you can go everywhere and and it's really a good thing uh if you if you can say okay a few things are clear now mm -hmm. so i found your uh designer diary notes that you wrote up and posted on board game geek um, and I thought that was a really interesting look into the process. And there were a number of notes there that I, I really appreciated. Uh, you talked about how, you know, so that it is it is very story based and you don't play one session and then just reset everything and start another session and everything's the same as the last time you played. You know, there's a story that you're really progressing through and the board itself will change from one session to the, the next, which is a really unique component. There's there's these little little windows and tokens. It's been described as being a little bit like an advent calendar in that way, at least in terms of how it looks. Um, yeah. But you flip them out and sometimes you remove them from the board, sometimes you flip them over. And so the board can look entirely different from the start of one session to the start of the next, uh, which is a really fun and interesting and very different element from most games I've ever encountered. Uh, but one of the things I, I appreciated reading through your designer notes was how initially to kind of make the story flow you had everything done on these cards and it got very complicated and that became a book and mm -hmm. the game comes with this lovely little hand uh, hardbound book with ribbons in it to help mark your place and that adds to that element of it feels like you're playing through a story because you have the book there and I really appreciated your comment about how doing it as an app instead of a book was never an option for you and I know that's a very trendy thing lots of games including cooperative story-based ones do lend uh do lean a lot on apps these days personally i'm i'm not big on that i prefer not to have the phone out at the table I, and having the book and and we pass the book around at the table so when one player lands on a spot i'll pass the book to the player next to me and they'll be the one that reads the entry for me which i, I believe is part of the whole intent and it feels very i don't know very family-like it's it's got that idea of we're really reading the story to each other was that sort of the idea behind why you didn't want to do an app or was there anything else involved no it's it's exactly this um so as you mentioned before it were there were a lot of cards before um but because it should have been family friendly and i don't I didn't want to to have them to sort a lot of cards the idea came up to to put it in a book because the book you just have to put on the table and it's done it's sorted by itself so um so that was a, a, a huge fortune. And um, yeah, and, and then the publisher, uh, when I showed it to them, they mentioned an app how, that 
you know, we could have a nice speaker and um, some atmospheric music or whatever. Um, but whenever I play tested it, there was at least one player that loved to read, that that took the book, that uh, had a deep voice, or uh, uh, really uh, tried to to uh, talk like uh, like the Smiths, uh, the blacksmiths, or or whatever. And and it was so much fun. And you know, if you put in an app, it's a it's a professional, and none of us can be the professional. So you take away that fun from the group and from one of the players. You you take it away because you put in a professional. And uh, so I thought it's much better this way and, and and it's designed to play it with family it's designed to play it with kids and and i think it's it's maybe some somehow old-fashioned but it's kind of lovely to to see your nine-year-old uh, reading out of a book and, and and you read to him and you know what you described right now that uh, uh, that that was intended yeah something that kind of got me started on doing this podcast was based on on reading the stories of Robin Hood to to somebody and really enjoying that experience of reading it to them and that kind of inspired wanting to to delve a little bit more into that world and I do think you you have a little bit more of that kind of real personal connection when you're reading things aloud to people and to get an element of that with a board game while you're also kind of cooperatively problem solving because that's what a lot of the stories are based on you're mm -hmm. kind of presented a task or a problem and you have to figure out how you're all going to work together to solve it it does kind of create a lot of that nice feel and has a lot more of that immersive sort of storybook quality that i've seen other games reach for and succeed with to varying degrees but i think this one does a very nice job of finding that balance balance and it works very well for robin hood but speaking of Thank you very much. <laughs> <laughs> Speaking, uh, yeah, I'm, I am really a big fan. Uh, like it's a highlight of my week when I get to come back home and uh, get my sister and her husband over and, and play this with my son and the yeah. four of us. Um, it's it's really very enjoyable. What I wanted to to ask though, to, to segue from the idea of reading Robin Hood stories is what were your kind of primary sources of inspiration to help you write your Robin Hood stories for this game? Where were you kind of drawn from? Um, yeah, as I mentioned, uh, I saw Kevin Costner and <laughs> and um, in the 80s, there were this uh, uh, show with the Planet kind of no, version uh, uh, music, but, uh, the soundtrack of Planet. I had a vague memory of this and um, but very important influence for the historical background was um, a book by Rebecca Gablé. Um, she's a historical author and, mm. um, and she, she made a very uh, fun to read book about the English history, um, English history of kings. I'm, I'm not that educated, I'm not kind of, uh, I'm no scientist, so I, I couldn't get into deep into the material, but that was a great source because she she made kind of kind of fast forward through uh, English history, and that was a, a great and, and and I was really uh, surprised that uh, yeah some of the stuff that we um, encounter in movies uh, that uh, Prince John really attempted to uh, overthrow uh, <laughs> his brother um, and that the King of France had something to do with it uh, that. It seemed to me to be historical correct, and um, yeah, yeah. Uh, that was that was a, a good influence. Yeah, and and actually, uh, um, but I wanted to to write an, my own story of Robin Hood, and I'm, I'm kind of nervous that uh, people like you who are really really into it <laughs> might not dis dislike it because it's uh, something new or something different uh, than it probably should have been, uh, but because it is a story game a story needs twists that you don't see coming and yeah. uh, some, some some unexpected twists story twists and uh, so if i you know copied a story from a to z then it would be uh, kind of boring for for people who know it already um, so robin Hood has the great 
fortune uh, that people can connect to it very easily and everyone has some some memory of it or some some um, idea of what is about to be, to happen in the story but then you can divide from that and and tell it a little bit different and, and it's actually kind of the same like i did with legends of andor which obviously is influenced by lord of the rings um so um you know you can take some of the stuff that people know already and you don't have to explain it because i, I wanted mm -hmm. especially robin hood should have been a game for a family that is easy to end to enter and and the great thing is i just need to say uh, sheriff of nottingham and everybody knows okay that's the bad guy you know right. <laughs> so yep. uh, and and and, uh, and i had a different approach uh in between to to go to florence uh, yes. as a setting yes. yeah uh, so i switched the setting and uh and but that was so diff difficult to explain you know we are these people and uh the other ones are the bad guys but they are and i had some weird italian names and no one could remember them and and it was so much easier to work with robin hood because uh yeah everybody knew already you know mm -hmm. yeah i think that's a really good point and one of the things that i i try to draw from a lot with this podcast is because there's already that familiarity that everybody has it makes an easy access point and sometimes i'll use it to explore how robin hood is presented in different forms of media in the movies or something like board games but also sometimes just to talk about what life in the middle ages was really like mm -hmm. and robin hood is that entry point it's like well you've seen robin hood movies you have an idea of who he is you know what would their life have really been like what actually would it have been like to hunt deer in mm -hmm. sherwood forest and it, it's a great way to to reach people, to have that, here's a connection, here's something familiar, something you've heard of. And uh, I think that's really, really, really great that you were able to draw on that for the board game and then kind of tell your own story with the character that is familiar. Um, a very important part of Robin Hood is that he's so uh, neutral, you know? For, ex for example, um, actually we do bad things, you know? We fight people, we rob uh, 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 the the nobles and 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 all that actually bad things, but because he doesn't do it for himself, it works. You know, so mm -hmm. he's kind of a prototype for a, a modern hero. Um, and um, and you know, I I don't know so much about Robin Hood as you do, but I remembered in in uh, uh, for example the Kevin Costner movie, he started some sort of uh, revolution. And uh, and at the end, when the king comes, uh, returns, uh, he steps aside, and that's it seems to be uh, 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 one thing about him that he doesn't want the power or the money or the whatever for himself. Um, he gives it to others or, or steps aside, and and that's the, I believe that's the way he works. You know, that's why he's so so different from from any pirate. You know, who who just gains the stuff for himself. Mm hmm. Yeah, I was commenting when we were playing the game last night that I really like how, you know, there there's a resource of, of hope that you have on on the board and you need to try to manage that hope and things get worse for you if, if kind of hope runs out. And it, that hope is not representative of necessarily your characters, but of the people in the area, you know, the villagers in Nottingham, uh, the hope of the land. I think the game refers to it. And the easiest way for that hope to increase is by robbing noblemen. And the little marker on the board that moves to show that hope has increased is called the bard. Mm -hmm. And so how that represents, oh, these nobles have been defeated, their wealth mm -hmm. is being shared with people, and bards mm -hmm. are singing stories about it, and that's why mm -hmm. the hope is going up. And mm -hmm. it was a little bit subtle because some of this is abstracted. You know, it's a little, little marker on the board and um, nobody's like playing the bard and it's not written into the story because you're kind of involved with the task you have to solve but kind of putting together that that's what all of these things represented uh felt really rewarding and i really liked that aspect and that it did reinforce that idea that your characters weren't just doing all of these actions for their own gain and that's why this resource was increasing and that it was inspiring the people around them and that there's 
a bard out there singing songs about them. Yeah, yeah. Earlier draft, it was like actually I wanted to 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 gain um, some some coins or, or some some items, and the hope was intended to rise just when you deliver it to some poor people. So mm. that was the more the even more thematically approach, but game wise it didn't feel good you know because you you have this great moment you defeat the uh, nobleman and nothing happens uh, you get the item and then the the rather boring stuff like you know you walk from a to b and deliver uh, the bread or the gold or whatever that was the point where you got some money so i had to cut out this boring part of it and uh, and that was by saying the hope increases and then your your uh, your doing is uh, the people benefit from seeing that they can be defeated and and yeah that's that what rises the hope i was wondering a little bit about uh which characters you chose to use and why you know i i could have seen a space or and i don't know if this was in any of your play tests where one of the characters might have been a bard, might have been Alan Adale, and they had a special ability that could increase hope or something like that. Uh, was that was there any were there any thoughts along those lines? Because the characters you settled on were Robin Hood, of course, Maid Marian, Little John, and Will Scarlet. Yeah. Well, these are the one that ones that um, seem um, to be the ones that uh, people know best um, in Germany. It, it, it seems to be that way. Um, so the others are not so well known. And, and uh, of course, the fame, the most famous one, uh, Friar Tuck, uh, I, I knew exactly that I, I wanted to, to have him for an expansion uh, because ah. you know some, sometimes people say, okay, I, I had the game, I, I don't need the expansion, but I knew if I, if I call the expansion Friar Tuck, everybody wants to have the expansion <laughs> and wants to to have fry attack so um yeah that was uh, kind of kind of a marketing idea but um yeah these these four characters and um i would have loved to to um uh, yeah get more get get deeper into the characters but that's always um combined with complexity you know to mm -hmm. Uh, in a in a former version, everyone had his own reward paper. Uh, so the actions that uh, Little John does uh, would have affected the way people react if he encounters them. But um, that that was all too difficult. It was all too too much. Um, so mm. in comparisons to Andor, where you have your own character and you develop him and you have the picture of him in front of you. Uh, in Robin Hood, we are more abstract. You know, it's just the green figure or the blue figure. And um, so there is a little bit more distance between you and your character. Um, I, I feel that there, there's pros and cons that I think it does help you kind of imagine yourself a little bit more in that role, but gets a little bit away from the role-playing aspect. And mm -hmm. I think it was a, a bold and interesting choice and does certainly make things simpler and easier to just kind of get things rolling and, and you can set up and start playing really quite quickly for a game that has as much depth um, and change from one session to the next as this one does. In regards to the, the storytelling and this idea that you're getting to write your own Robin Hood story, in the book as you're playing through this game, there's a decision point and the story kind of branches off and you got to really kind of work in two different stories and you really only will get to play through one of them unless you go and then you know replay the game of course in which case you could then play the other story path i noticed in your design notes that you had come up with three stories mm -hmm. um and obviously we don't want to go into what the two that are in the game because we don't want to <laughs> spoil them for anyone but i was wondering if you could tell uh tell us a little bit about the third story that didn't get included yeah yeah it's uh um it's easy um this is the part where uh, friar took uh, plays a a big role and um and this is this is actually the part that um, I, I i separated and, and and this you will play when you play the uh expansion 
Ah, uh, okay. <laughs> in Germany, it's released this year. And um, yeah, that's the, the, the third branch. Um, I, I, I had a historical moment or I found a historical moment that fits very, very nicely uh, into the whole uh, concept and, um, and that you will encounter if you play the expansion. Okay, so the third story got folded into the expansion, so we still can't get into too many details there. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Uh, so be it. Um, yeah, I did see that that expansion is coming out. I think it's called The Adventures of Robin Hood. Uh, is it Friar Tuck in Danger or something? Yes. In, in yes. English, at least. Um, as you said, it's coming out in German, uh, Germany this year. Um, I saw the cover art for it. It's gorgeous. I do like the cover art for the, the main box also. That's It's wonderful. I'm hoping the English version will follow before too long. <laughs> I believe it's doing very well in the in uh, in the English market, so um, I'm pretty sure. Great. We'll, <laughs> good good we'll, to hear. Will be released. <laughs> yeah. So, speaking of uh, the cover art in your designer notes that you posted, uh, when you were talking about the design process for the cover. You talked about how you really wanted to focus on the hero and like Robin Hood as a hero and wanting that to be a figure that drew people in and how you saw a lot of importance in heroic figures as people could connect to. And so I was sort of wondering what some of your sort of heroic inspirations were maybe when you were growing up. Mm. Yeah, I, I grew up with uh, Star Wars and, and, uh, um, and Marvel, of course, Spider-Man and, um, and, and Robin Hood, of course. And, um, but, you know, although I do love uh, uh, um, uh, Man in Tights, uh, <laughs> which is really, really funny. Um, and I saw it in the movie too, in the cinema, uh, when I was young, it kind of made Robin Hood silly. Uh, in, at least mm -hmm. in Germany, it's green tights and and uh, uh, funny hat and, and all that kind of stuff. And I was really concerned about having a serious story and a serious hero. And um, and as you probably noticed, uh, the book is not funny at all. <laughs> There's not one yeah. funny line. It's not like, uh, hey, the doodly, uh, we we're about to rob someone, and uh, you know, it's it's the people are suffering, and it's it's, mm -hmm. it's really serious. And I, and I needed to to be that serious because it's it's so easy to to ridicule Robin Hood. And it's so yeah. easy to to get lost. Uh, get the whole point of it. What are, what are we doing? You know. And um, so, and the cover. It, I wanted to 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 deliver this this um, seriousness. You know, this is a really cool hero um, with the shadow over the eyes. You know, the the eyes are. Uh, the the windows to our soul and um, and if you have a, a glasses on um, or sunglasses um, you you shut that down so that makes you kind of cool you know the emotion is, is missing and uh, and that what what uh, that's what he has you know um, with a um, with his hood uh, you you barely see his eyes so he's a really cool guy and and that is these are the two uh, poles. You know, I have the very cool guy that could be on an Assassin's Creed cover. But on the other hand side, I do have the name Robin Hood, which is a brand of, you know, not getting violent, not being uh, extra uh, adult. So between those two poles, I, I created the, the cover so that the, the, the mother would still say, OK, let's play Robin Hood. But the kids are not bored like, you know, uh, <laughs> I want to play something cool. So I, I wanted to get them together at the table. I think that's a really good point. And that's that's where my, my preference for Robin Hood lies. I, I think you do kind of get reactions to the character where he either gets spoofed and silly. I made a, a comment earlier this year about the only time you see Robin Hood wearing the pointed hat anymore 
is if it's like a kid's cartoon or if it's a parody like Men in Tights. Mm-hmm. And other like you, you almost can't put him in that hat without people just thinking he's silly anymore. But at the same time, you know, there is this kind of fascination with taking things, especially things from our childhood and making them extra grim and violent. I, I can't take my son who loves Batman to see most Batman movies in the movie theaters because they're really grim and violent and dark. And Robin Hood, like a lot of these characters, can be done in so many different ways. You can do a, a Batman who is, is very silly and spoofy, you know, the Adam West kind of style, mm-hmm. or you can do one that's very grim and very dark, or you can find a middle ground where he is still mm-hmm. engaging an interesting, um, not boring, not silly, but also not overly depressing and dark and violent and i think that is a really good place for robin hood especially if you're wanting it to be a family-friendly game so it's you're in that space where it's family friendly it's still engaging but it's not just silly and goofy yeah Uh, personally i i don't like violent movies too so you know it's just like it's it's too much (laughs) and Mm -hmm. uh, so i um and it's the same with with uh, legends of vendor you know it's at at no point it's really uh bloody or uh you know uh, that or or dark it's it's tension it has tension uh, yeah things are things are serious but not dark you know yeah and um and and for example we have the one mechanism in andor which some people don't like because they they think it's kind of a punishment uh, because whenever you defeat a, a creature the 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 narrator moves on one spot and if he reaches the end of the track you've lost so uh mm-hmm. you cannot just go around and kill it everything that's uh, all around you you know hack and slay through all the monsters you you have to really have to look which is necessary which do we should better leave leave alone and um, um but for me it's uh, um it makes it makes sense in terms of that that's the storyteller and he tells whenever something great happened and uh, you know when whenever you defeated someone uh, um he tells about it and and so the story progresses and uh, Game-wise, it's very important because the game, by him, by this narrator, the game knows how strong the the, the heroes are. Because with every defeated creature, they get some reward, and um, and and that makes them stronger. So uh, whenever the narrator moves forward, I know I have to put in more creatures or more evil creatures. So it's very important for for the balance. And um, so, but I'm getting off topic. You know it. Yeah. But it never gets I, dark. You know? I, I appreciate I, I it a lot. I've I've dabbled a little bit in, in board game design myself. And and this was really one of the challenges that I faced. I, I kind of co-developed and wrote a game about Russian folklore called mm-hmm. Baba Yaga. And and in it, there's all of these these quests and tasks and adventures that your bogatiers, your heroes are, are encountering. And as they do this, they, they get rewards and they get stronger. They find the, the magical weapons, they get allies, and but then they still have to have more challenges. And how do you start making those, those challenges continue to have tension? Mm-hmm. And what we hit upon was that it was all, it started being based around their reputation, that mm-hmm. more was expected of them as they kind of went along and, and got better. And mm-hmm. that's what made the the challenges harder. So I appreciate that there is that that kind of thought and element to um, Legends of Andor. Mm-hmm. And what really made me kind of love that game and, and love that mechanic right away was in the very first adventure, there, there's a shift where you suddenly have a different task you need to do. Mm-hmm. And again, I'm not going to go into details and give spoilers about it. Mm-hmm. But in order to accomplish that task, my son and I realized that we couldn't kill any more of the monsters or we'd run out of time. So we had to really think, we had to totally change our plan. And we ended up kind of hiding in some caverns as mm-hmm. the monsters passed us by. Mm-hmm. And that feeling of, oh, this is also something very cinematic. That feels like a moment in Lord of the Rings when the heroes take cover and you see the enemies like rushing by them. 
And then they are able to come out and complete their mission that matters more than just killing monsters. That felt cinematic in ways that just defeating monsters didn't. And that was the moment that made me really fall in love with that game too. And one of the things I really appreciate about the adventures of Robin Hood is you do also kind of have that similar aspect where your tasks and your missions and your focuses and the things you're trying to accomplish can change as your characters learn more information. It's not just about getting more powerful. It's not just about ramping up your character's abilities. It's about meeting the needs of the stories that the story that you're in and the characters that you're introducing, you know, meeting a character and finding out that they're in peril and that you need to rescue them and get them to a certain place at a certain time. You know, it's, it adds a really dynamic story driven quality to it. That that's, that's really fun. And I liked your designer note as long as I'm, I'm just continuing to gush over your work here um, about how you like to take the little characters at the end of a session and put them around the campfire and their secret uh, hideout and how it reminded you of Asterix and Obelix and that idea of, uh, and then the great story ends with having a feast around the campfire and getting to, to recount the, those events that, that ad, added to the camaraderie of the whole thing. So, I do feel a little bit bad for the listeners because I can't go because we have to tiptoe so much around the story and we can't go into any particulars. They just kind of get to hear me say how great I think it is. I guess since we can't talk about any of the the details in the designer notes, you and and you mentioned that there's a while you're thinking of the Thieves of Florence. You were briefly thinking of a floating islands version of the game. Was it the the movement mechanic that was kind of inspiring that notion of kind of this kind of hopping to floating island to floating island? Yeah, 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 yeah. It was, um, you know, as as an illustrator, I'm used to um, uh, have different approaches. So um, I don't um, when I make a, a draft for a cover, uh, I'm, I cannot fall in love with it. I have to have several different different uh, versions so that the publisher can decide so i'm i'm not an artist i'm i'm, I'm working <laughs> um, I, I want the publisher to be happy and um, so it kind of uh, is part of my dna to to have one theme or topic and and say okay would it work better if i change everything <laughs> and have flying islands or uh, <laughs> Thieves of Florence or, or whatever, um, just to make sure I'm on the I'm doing the right thing, you know, and um, and, and and especially the the trip to Florence was very important because I love having my games thematically correct. But as I mentioned before, the part where you gain the loot and and bring it to uh, some poor people that was delivered that was game wise. No fun, and um, but uh, but I wasn't able to see that that this is uh, too much, and um, so I took the trip to Florence and, and changed a lot of stuff and um, and felt free and and lost a lot of weight uh, uh, and complexity, and then I could return to Sherwood Forest and, and see okay I I I don't need this and and this uh, special rule I I just don't need it. Uh, uh, it's it's not necessary for for um, the target group, and it's not necessary for for the fun. But because you have always have to ask yourself, where's the fun in it? Where's mm-hmm. you know uh, in, in that mechanism? What am I trying to to prove? Uh, am I a, a great designer or whatever? And that doesn't count. It the only thing that counts is uh, does is it fun? You know, and, and for example, when I when I thought about the the shadows on the board that you know we have areas that are bright and some areas that are covered in in, in shadow and and the guards cannot see robin hood and his uh, friends when they are in the shadow and and it's fun to 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 you know uh, move a little bit far uh, less far but to stay safe in the shadow you know it feels cinematic uh, and um, um, so, and all the the rules that are just too much and, and and not really fun and not really necessary, you have to be capable of cut them out 
and uh, and that's so difficult because you know kill your darlings. Uh, yeah, yeah. You get so used to stuff and and believe these are uh, important parts, and you cut them away, and you feel like okay, uh, they weren't necessary at all. And um, and and I really have to thank all my playtesters that that uh, went to a lot of versions that were no fun at all. <laughs> I can imagine so many years mm -hmm. of developing. Uh, uh, it yeah. wasn't fun at the beginning. <laughs> Mm -hmm. and, uh, so um, yeah, I'm I'm very thankful for all that help. Yeah, there there's always so much to be said for those those early game play testers who <laughs> who will take those ideas that you have put out and yeah. try to muddle through them. <laughs> I remember the first time I did um, you know hosted a play testing session for that game I was just talking about, mm -hmm. and the initial feedback I got was just like, oh, this game is impossible and I hate it. Mm, yeah. <laughs> and it's like, oh, but my ideas seem so good in my head. Yeah, yeah I, I, I think I, I noticed in the design notes that the very initial kind of concepts and ideas uh, that sort of over time evolved and morphed and became the game occurred when you were on a family vacation in 2017. Mm -hmm. And then the German edition of the game, it first came out in uh, was it 2020 or 2021? 21. Yeah, so it came out just last year. And and I know the English version came out kind of late 2021. So it was between 2017 and 2021 from the, to get between those early drafts and initial concepts to the finished product. So mm -hmm. a process of, of roughly four years, although maybe, maybe, three years with all the, the print time. Is that about right? Yeah, that's right. And a lot of having to rework everything, kill your babies um, yeah, yeah. as part of that process. Yeah, um, as I mentioned before, the, the, the difficult thing is that you can do almost everything. And, um, and that really, you know, it's probably comparable to a, a, a novelist who can came up, come up with any story and with any characters and they can everything can happen to those characters and and you are not bound by genre or or whatever you know sometimes you have to try something new sometimes there are good reasons that no one else did it before <laughs> because it's simply not working so um so the freedom is actually uh the difficult thing about it and uh, um, and i believe there were several games that I already invented on the way to get to Robin Hood. Uh, mm -hmm. There was a former version with cards where you have items on the cards and some uh, wooden pieces, uh, tokens that were put on the cards and, and that affected uh, your strengths. And, 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 and that was all put aside and cut away, but the, the, these in between steps were working games, you know, um, and I could have stopped there and say, okay, it's, it's done. But because I had this idea, it should have been a family game. And of course I, I wanted to, to have some, some stuff in it that has never been done before. It took a while to, to really get there. Do you think that any of those ideas might uh, get revisited for future games down the road? I guess so. Uh, uh, it, was, it wasn't really all crap, you know. It was, <laughs> there was right. So it just might not work for this game, you know. Yes. Yeah. And yeah. Um, um, and that's why that's what it makes it so difficult to let them go, you know, because they're not all bad ideas, but they are not the right fit for 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 this game. And actually, you know, the publisher in in my case is great. They they leave a lot of freedom uh, and a lot of space for me. But it's at the same time, you know, I have no one who, who, tell, who says uh, it has to be Robin Hood. You know, uh, they, mm -hmm. they would have been okay with Thieves of Florence. And uh, so there is no advice. And the only thing, the only guide you have is your own kind of feeling where do you want to go, actually. Yeah. And, and so that kind of gets to the, the last question I really wanted to ask you was 
what sort of feedback have you gotten in relation to it being this Robin Hood theme? Have you been finding people really have latched onto that? Have you gotten positive responses? Have you gotten any negative responses? Well, negative, um, you know, we have sometimes people expect something different. Uh, they and and, um, and then uh, they expect something more difficult or more complex. And um, but it is a family game. So very often you can read on Board Game Geek that um, people say, okay, if you play it with your kids or if you play it uh, uh, with uh, not freaks, <laughs> it's it's great. Uh, uh, it's a great experience. But you don't have to expect a Legends of Endor, uh, for example. Um, that's uh, um, more complex, and, um, and and that is Robin Hood is not that. It's you know, family games usually in Germany, um, a lot of family games are very abstract or uh, just communication games, you know, and, and this is one one very unique thing because you, you play a story, but it's not that difficult uh, and not that complex to learn. So it's strange. Um, mm -hmm. but, um, but we also do have a, a website in Germany and uh, we get a lot of... Uh, um, positive feedback from from players uh right after christmas uh that they really enjoyed it uh that uh, while it's pandemic uh they have this game they can really dive into the story and, and have a great time uh with the family uh, uh around the table and um so that that feels great and and that was you know therefore it was intended um to 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 get people who aren't Playing those those big games like uh, Dune, for example, um, yeah, and um, so the feedback is, is uh, very well, very good. Yeah. And the the publisher Cosmos, I know that they they have a, a UK branch. Do they have a Germany branch too, or are they primarily a UK company? No, it's a German company. It is a German company that has mm -hmm. a UK branch. So yeah. they're they're based in Germany. Okay, yeah. and. Um, I, I saw in the design notes that they were totally on board with that Robin Hood theme um, mm -hmm. when you came to them with Thieves of Florence. They're like, ah, yeah. that Robin Hood <laughs> idea. Let's let's revisit uh, that one. Yeah, yeah. So Robin Hood had a lot of good popular appeal and, and notions as a character there in Germany too. Yes, uh, of course. And um, um, yeah, the publisher was, you know. After Legends of Andor, I, I told everybody that uh, I, I didn't want to do another game. Um, and, and that was true for a while, but then I had the idea for Robin Hood. But I kept saying, no, I'm, I'm done with designing games because I didn't want to, to have any expectations, any um, um, deadlines or any commitment. I wanted to develop as long as it takes. And uh, you know, and mm. when you start to to say, yeah, there's a new game uh, uh, coming, uh, you feel that kind of pressure. And um, and I did. Uh, I at any time I could say, uh, okay, that's it. Uh, it doesn't work. Uh, I didn't tell anyone about it, so just quit. Um, and that was a great relief because at some point it wasn't really a good game. So I was really happy I didn't tell anyone. And uh, yeah, and when I then told Cosmos, they were very happy because they knew this game would have, uh, anyway, if it's a good game or not, uh, it, it would have some attention, uh, at least in Germany, uh, people will have a look. Uh, he said he, he doesn't do any games anymore so here's another one okay and, <laughs> and of course and of course it will be uh, compared to andor and and so um they knew uh, it it would be um it would have some popularity and uh, and when they found out it's a good game too um they were extra relieved because you know you have a game that will be seen and it's a good one so that's uh, that's something that the publisher likes a lot. <laughs> yeah. Well, I, I guess along those lines, I was going to ask if there was uh, anything you are working on right now, but it seems like the best answer is to say no, <laughs> uh, regardless yeah, actually, of whether or not it's true. <laughs> actually, uh, I, I, 
guess no one would believe anymore <laughs> if I say I'm not working. No, uh, actually, I'm I'm working on on new games, but um, it's nothing to 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 talk about right now. But um, right, and and I don't have a publisher yet, so um, we'll see. But um, I believe it, it's it's really fun. You know, uh, I really enjoyed it, and you know, with Legends of Endor, it was all by accident. It was like you know, what the hell is going on? <laughs> <laughs> but uh, with with Robin Hood, it was more, you know, I had a more a clear vision uh, of where to go with it, and, and and it worked out so well in the end. And so, um, yeah, I'm I'm drawn to to uh, design more games. Yeah. I'm, okay, fun. Well, I look forward to to seeing what else comes. Yeah. You know, I I only started finding your games recently. Uh, this one, you know, obviously popped up on my radar. As soon as I started doing this podcast, I started getting people saying, oh, hey, did you see this game's coming out this year also? And mm -hmm. uh, there was a very nice bit of synchronicity there. So I look forward to seeing uh, what comes out in the future. Great, thank you. And thanks again for taking um, an hour out of your evening to, to speak with me. I appreciate it immensely. And uh, I hope that uh, you have a good rest of your night. Thank you very much. And uh, thanks for inviting me. Thanks a lot. Yeah. All right. See you. Take care. Bye. My thanks again to Michael Menzel for joining me in the Greenwood. Part of the mission statement for this podcast is to examine the various facets of the Robin Hood characters and legends, and I find that every discussion with a subject expert or content creator gives me some new element to consider. One common element of modern Robin Hood tales that I'm frequently critical of is when they end with the return of Good King Richard, when the real Richard I was not especially good by almost any measure, and it serves to make Robin the champion of the common people, a tool of the aristocracy. Sometimes I can be forgiving and accept that in the story world that we are presented, this is an ahistoric Richard, who, for the purpose of the tale, we can accept as a good and noble monarch, or at least one considerably better than his brother. But in the interview, Michael brought up a point that I hadn't really considered before. In the tales where Robin is functionally the head of rebellion, him helping Richard secure his throne can be seen not so much as a reflection of Richard's good character, but as a reflection of Robin's altruistic nature. It can even be seen as a way of reinforcing how he really does what he does to help others, and not because he's driven towards claiming power for himself. If you have thoughts on where Robin Hood falls on the spectrum of tool of the Plantagenet dynasty versus champion of the oppressed masses, or want to share your thoughts on the Adventures of Robin Hood board game, then feel free to get in touch via Twitter, Instagram, or Facebook, where we use the handle at into Greenwood. If you wouldn't touch social media with a cloth yard shaft, you can also email us directly via intogreenwood at gmail.com. Into the Greenwood is produced and edited by me, Thaddeus Papke. Our theme music is by Plastic 3, and it's brought to you by the generous support of our patrons on patreon.com slash intogreenwood. If you'd like to join our merry band, you can support the podcast for as little as a dollar an episode by going to patreon.com slash greenwood. At higher levels, you can find backer-exclusive content, such as bonus audio and an exclusive Into the Greenwood t-shirt. There's a bit up now about the literary tradition of romance for Little John. All money goes to supporting the podcast, except for 10% that we set aside for our select charity of Trees, Water, and People a top-rated foundation that implements sustainable solutions for providing clean water and food to impoverished communities around the world. If you have not alms with which to support this small podcast, 
you would also be doing us an immense help by leaving positive ratings and reviews on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever it is you listen to us. Into the Greenwood is really lacking in reviews, which means the Podfinder algorithms won't recommend us to potential new listeners. Often it won't even show a rating. Of course, recommending the podcast yourself to others would mean a lot as well. Into the Greenwood is completely independent and ad-free, but we do need some assistance to stay that way. That's all for now, though. So once again, I find myself wishing safe travels to you, one and all, until our next journey together into the Greenwood.